listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. All right, amen. Y'all give it up for the Lord tonight. Awesome. That's right. Try to get weave through here. I don't know if this is actually recording, so if you know how to look at it and see if it is, that would be great. And if it's not, just scrap it again. It actually is? Look at that, I did something right. I have to press one red button. That's all I have to do, and I messed it up last week somehow. Like one, I had one thing, and, and I messed it up. Um, haters gonna hate, lovers gonna love. Which one are you? Well, what a great intro for tonight, right? Haters gonna hate, lovers gonna love, which one are you? Um, That's the framework of kind of where we're going. We've been in Romans chapter 12, verses nine through 21. And I wanna just jump straight into scripture and read this full passage for you because we're gonna come full circle um, tonight as as we dive in. So Romans chapter 12, nine through 21, as we wrap up this series, Marks of a True Christian. Starting in verse nine, it says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Side note, we did not take a week on verse 13, but one of our core values as a next-gen ministry, which we also adopt as the journey, um, is encouraging generosity of all kinds, even with the $1 tie that you have as a college student. Yeah, we know how it kind of divides up, even there. So just a, a, an encouragement to you there to know that, that the body of Christ has always generously um, and, and a lot of times sacrificially Um, given and contributed so that God's church can continue to grow and to move and build. So there's your mini sermon for verse 13. Moving on to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Any of y'all's versions say some? Some say all, pretty much? Everyone? Okay, just checking. There's no objections to that. Just making sure. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head, not coal like me, but C-O-A-L-S. I don't know, that would be kind of weird, but just then he went there. Verse 20 is, is quoting Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22. And then lastly, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Haters gonna hate, lovers gonna love. Which one are you? 
So starting in verse nine, we have let love be genuine. And what seems to happen from that verse in verse nine, let love be genuine, is Paul wants to instruct us and teach us and show us what that looks like in basically the different kind of facets of life that we might be in. And so that's why, you know, the first week um, we, we talked about just love for each, each other. We talked about a special kind of love that we have as brothers and, and, and sisters. And, uh, and then we even went that our love for God was evident in not being slothful in zeal, but being fervent in spirit. And if you remember, right, what that, um, what the kind of the Greek says there, and, and I'm, I'm, siding with Brandon a lot, then I don't like to, to pull that out. I don't want you to lose confidence in your version of, of the Bible. Um, but fervent in spirit, as I was reading, literally means to allow the Holy Spirit to set you on fire with passion. And so your love for God, Paul is saying, should look like you're on fire. I mean, we, we talked about that that really what he's going for is not so much a wildfire, but more of a campfire, something that is still powerful, but is purposeful. It's not unbridled with no purpose and unrestrained and just crazy for a minute and something that people want to see put out. It is something that you could sit and look at for a while and be amazed, see the power and the warmth and purpose that it, it brings. And so that, that's the picture in terms of our zeal. It's a long, faithful just burning and, and fire that you have in passion for God and use that at the end of verse 11 to serve the Lord. We talked about rejoicing and hope, being patient and tribulation, being constant in prayer, that our, our love for God would look like endurance in our faith. We glanced over at Romans five and said, we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. And it says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're not gonna be put to shame. We're not gonna be discouraged or dismayed as we endure ultimately because God's love has been made so evident in our lives. It's going to compel us to live. So verse nine, let love be genuine. Paul is just wanting to show us how that manifests in all these areas of our life. And here he lands on verse 14 to 21. More verses, and he, he is emphatic about this. There's something that Paul wants us to see about genuine love in our relationship toward our enemies. Now, if you've, if you've read much of, of the Bible or heard much if I said the words, hey guys, don't worry about it, I actually encourage to hate your enemies, hate those who wrong you. If you heard me say that, I'm guessing a lot of you would have some red flags pop up, right? You'd be like, what's that brother smoking like? What's going on? Like, who did he, what did he eat? What's going on? I don't know what's happening. And so you know that, right? If you're a Christian in Christ and even in this room, if you're not, you have a general, probably moral ethic instilled into you to, to try your best not to be hateful. Now, do we do that? That's a whole other sermon. Now we're going to get to that actually tonight. Do we do it? I don't know, but you know that. So here's the question. If we're supposed to love the people that tend to probably give us the most problems, haters going to hate, lovers going to love. The question is, how do we love our haters? How do we love our haters? 
And as I'm reading verses 14 through 21, I want to kind of go through it verse by verse again, not spend too much time on it, but I, I want you to see something. And it's there's one overarching answer. And, and I encourage you to take this and study it on your own. But bless those who persecute you, bless and, and do not curse. I mean, that seems to be pretty obvious. And so if you're um, suffering on behalf of just for the sake of the gospel, that's what it's talking about here. It's maybe don't curse at that person under your breath, right? Or maybe don't say, man, I wish I could, wish I could do something back to them. That's kind of the, the idea. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is quoted, and I think it's helpful in any context. So brothers and sisters, you, we need not try, be the only person who, who wants to be around when everything's exciting, but not be, whenever things, things get sad, you know how it's tempting to be like, I'm going to go over here, right? Like in, in the body of Christ, we actually need for each other to be excited when things are exciting. But for your brothers and sisters, when they're honestly sad and down, it's like, stay with them, sit down. Don't be like Job's friends and tell them what they did or didn't do, but just sit with them, weep with those who weep. So that's good too. But here's what I was wondering this week. I think this is in the context of, of talking about our enemies, I think Paul is even suggesting that with those, so long as your enemy doesn't have some sort of victory or accomplishment that is to the evil and doom of the world, <laughs> maybe people that you don't like or that you're not in good standing with or whatever, when they have, when they're blessed, when they see general success and when they have a win in their life, when they see something, maybe they're your enemy, but they're actually in Christ. You've chosen to make them their enemy. When you see them flourishing in Christ, you should actually rejoice with them even if you have trouble not liking them even a little bit, right? My mom wouldn't let me say the word hate as a child and so I said, okay, I extremely dislike them beyond belief. That's good, I don't hate. I just extremely, right? This doesn't count, right? It was all about the heart. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, you know the feeling of someone that you really don't like how good it can sometimes feel to see them sad. Man, brother's getting real tonight, right? Someone you really don't like, someone that you've just been waiting for life to come back around to them, like, like as if karma existed, like, <laughs> doesn't exist. Just that, just, if you've thought that, it doesn't. God is God, he's on his throne. There's no non-existent sub-material, whatever thing going on. God is God, he is the one judging all things. Actually, when you see people that you even don't like weeping or upset or whatever, I think it is actually that you should feel a similar sorrow and compassion and heartfelt. Does that make sense? That's tough. Okay, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If at all, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It's like, hey, don't be a, a prideful bigot. Try, try not to look for opportunities where you know you're gonna say something that's gonna cause uh, disruption. Try not to be the person in the room that's always talking, that's always the smartest in the connect group, that always has to have the right answer. Side note, that person usually doesn't have much of an answer at all. That's just a little bit of wisdom for you. So repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It's like, 
You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And, 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 and Jesus' ethic in the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, no, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. If, so, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means every single thing, like every bit of striving that you can do, live peaceably with them. I'm not gonna go into details, but I'll tell you about two months ago, um, had, had like a, a conflict with somebody. And I would say, man, like they're just, if you feel like you're someone that's always kind of always caught in, in drama and conflict or whatever, I, I, I'll tell you, like, as long as you're growing in Christ, usually by like your late 20s, I just feel like that just this, that's a, doesn't happen as much. So there's some hope for you if you feel like you're just kind of caught in that world. And so this kind of caught me by surprise, but there was, there was some conflict and drama. It was super difficult on on me because there was, there was some things kind of going on that I felt like, man, I really feel like um, I'm being put in a bad light, but obviously there's not peace between us. And so I'm sitting there wanting so much to justify myself and make sure my full side of the, of the story is heard. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about when, when there's conflict and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm seen in the bad light because of this, A, B, C, or D. And, and, and the reality is, is this whatever I was feeling, whatever desire that I had to justify myself, put myself in a better light, I realized what was wrong in my heart is, is I wanted to be seen as better than what was actually happening in my heart. You feel me? I wanted an exterior perception that made me look way better than what was actually happening in my heart because I had bitterness in my heart. I did not want, want peace. I wanted justice, <laughs> false justice. I wanted revenge. It's not good. It's not good. And so what, what God began to show me is, Cole, you have not done, this is not his exact words, but, but kind of in a paraphrase, look at this. If, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so I ate the humble pie, like gulped, right? It kind of went down hard. I was like, okay. And so the hardest thing I've had to do in a long time, again, like, this is weird for me. It's like every opportunity I have, try to speak, speak words of peace or like just an act of kindness toward this person. Super difficult, super hard. Is it deserved? I don't know. Do any of us deserve grace and love? No, we don't. All right. And so this hard. So I, I'm telling you that story to let you know, I don't, some people think that like pastors are just, just transcend difficulties. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like sometimes it's worse. Sometimes there's more opportunities for just like, good grief. Like, look at all this stuff, like coming my way. Like, how am I going to deal with that? Y'all tracking with that? And this verse, this verse, um, sorry, 18 is real for me tonight. And then verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I've got to settle in, in my heart. I remember um, one of my friends, my senior year in high school, got kicked off the baseball team because some other guys convinced him to, to bring... Um, I mean, you talk about a surplus variety of, of alcohol and, and fun things to do in the hotel at our tournament trip. And, and I remember my, it was one of, my, one of my best friends. I wasn't aware that he had brought it, but some other guys were in on it. They encouraged him to do it. I think they even paid him for all of it, but they said, well, we'll put it in your bag. And I remember our coaches got word somehow back home 
did the room checks. I'm with my friend. Our coaches come in. I'm chill. It's like I'm Cole Rhodes. If I'm one thing, I'm like seen as the morally upright good kid. Like I'm good. And, and I'm like, just, oh yeah, come on in. You can search my bag. Yeah, you can check out my undies too if you want. Like you can search everywhere you want. I'm good, right? Not the one the undies I have on, guys. Sorry, the undies in my bag. Anyway, um, <laughs> you're like, dude, like that's a weird situation. <laughs> like, don't, don't share that on Tuesday. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> oh, sorry. Sometimes I say things and it's stupid. Um, Every week, sometimes. <laughs> Where was I at? What point were they making? Oh, so the coaches go through, go through these bags, <laughs> and like it's mine. I'm like, check, yeah, that's right. And then they open my friend Josh's bag, and I, I was I was appalled. And they they see it. They freak out. They call the school. Um, he gets kicked off the team. I mean, I'm not talking about like a not only my best friend, but the best player on, on the team. I'm even willing to admit that I was not and totally just wrecked the season. I, I, was, I was a mess that same day. All those guys that actually were in on it, none of them got in trouble. One of them was the coach's son. It was, it was, just, it was just a mess, guys. It was a mess. I was, I was, um, I was, I was very angry. And I was so angry, I had to quit because one of the guys was mouthing off to me and let's just say I was about as big as I am now and it wouldn't have ended well for him if I would have followed through. And I'm not, I'm not saying that boastfully. It just, it would have been a very bad situation. <laughs> it would have been a very bad situation for me. It would have been awful. And that sounds cool. Some of you still think that sounds cool. That, that sounds bad. When you have something in yourself that would be willing to harm someone physically, that, that never ends well for you and Jesus. Like you're gonna eventually have a moment where, where you're like, yeah, that was stupid. Like that's the, every time. And so that was in my heart for years, even after, like what a pathetic loser to like carry high school drama into college. Now, let me be gracious. I was, I was that. And so if that's you, I, hey, you're in good company. <laughs> for years until April, 2016, this happened March, 2010. I carried that for that long and finally, I, I, was, I was sitting about two months, three months out before we were leaving to go overseas. And I was, I was like to, to serve as missionaries. I was thinking, I'm gonna go with the gospel of Jesus Christ to another country when I have the type of hatred that could physically harm someone still in my heart towards someone from six years ago. That just doesn't seem right. Y'all tracking with that? That just doesn't seem right. And so from there, what I had to do is the, the, the truth of this verse, love would never avenge yourselves for the wrath of God is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him if he's thirsty. Give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I had to decide in that moment, like he doesn't deserve it, but really none of us deserve any grace or mercy. And so the only way that I could reach out to this guy, because obviously I'd set things in place to make sure I'd never have to see him again. The only thing I could think of was just a Facebook message. And some of y'all don't even use Facebook and that's fine. But I was like, I found him, just sent a message. And it was pretty short and concise. And it was, I basically just told him that the image of Jesus that he was supposed to see in me, he did not. And I apologized. 
I said, what I was supposed to be towards you is loving and forgiving and kind and gracious. And, and I was not, and I apologize for that. And I said, if that, what I did is your perception of what Christianity is, I am sorry, because that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanna let you know, even if you don't forgive me, that's fine, but I forgive you and I've moved on. I hope you're doing well. I think you already had a kid at that time. I said, hope your kid's doing well. You know what? Never, never heard back from him. He may, honestly, he, he may still be a guy that's like someone I don't wanna be around, honestly. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what I had to do. Two stories. Are y'all convinced yet? Like, yeah, that brother's had to, had to go through some stuff. Yeah, it's, it's easy. It would've been so easy. Didn't I have to send that message? I didn't have to send that message, did I? It's been years, who cares? So as I read through this passage, how do we love our haters? Friends, we, we love our haters by overcoming their evil with God's goodness and grace. Amen? That's how we do it. And, and guess what? Here's the deal. They're not in a sense of like, I'm about to overcome them. We're about to kick the snot out of them with God's grace. Like, that's weird, right? Like, that, that's not the mentality, right? By overcoming their evil with God's goodness. And so as I read through this, every commandment can be summed up with overcoming the opposition, overcoming the suffering at the hands of other people with goodness and love. It says, when we have the opportunity to take down our enemy and their weakness, what does it say? When they're hungry, give them something to eat. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink, not to crush them while they are, they are down, but to feed them and give them water to drink. It would be so easy to just step down and turn your foot to your enemy's peril. But Jesus says, no, get them Get them some ice water or Texas. Man, give them some sweet iced tea, you know? Make sure the ice doesn't dilute it, you know? Just like, just right where, yeah, you got it. Man, there was a, there was a guy speaking of, we're, we're in high school mode. I'm just being all nostalgic tonight. So there was a guy um, when I was growing up, I think it was about sixth or seventh grade when he graduated. His name, big football player, his name was Giles Montgomery. Does that not sound like an all-American? Like that's just an amazing name, Giles Montgomery. And even better, you know what his nickname was? Anybody just throw one out there? His nickname was Bootsy. I'm not kidding. His nickname was Bootsy. Um, and he was about, I mean, to me as a, as a 12 year old, I thought he was about seven, six, you know, four, 15, you know, but, but he was more like probably just like six, three, six, four, but he was a monster. He got a full ride to go play at TCU. He was amazing. And so, so legend has it. Um, and, and I got to see him play legend has it that as Bootsy was just, literally ending people's lives every play on the field and like hitting them. And the next thing they know, they're waking up in the ER, things like that. You know what I mean? Um, or just like, just totally wrecking people on the field. I mean, he was just like, bam, you know what I mean? And after the play's done, legend has it that every single time he had the opportunity at the end of every play, he looked down, pick him up, say, Jesus loves you, brother. And he just walk on every play. He'd just say, Jesus loves you, brother. I love that about Giles because um, he's just a strong, strong Christian man, came back to Sweetwater to, to coach. Um, but for that, it was a game. It, it was that they were not his, his enemies. And so even in a game where he was totally dominant, had every, he could have just walked up and been like, with his towering figure, just been like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just walked off, you know? <laughs> or just, I don't know, you know? 
probably done other things, but that's, that's what I came up with. But picked him up, said, Jesus loves you, brother. And, and legend has it, it wasn't inauthentic or just stupid or, or funny for, for a sermon illustration someday. Uh, it was actually, that was him. He was genuine. I think the application for us in that, when we hear stories like that, is taking, we need to take advantage of the opportunity when our, when our enemy is down, not to, not to, to kill, to crush, but to seize the moment, not with vengeance, but to seize that moment with goodness. In other words, kill them not with a sword, but, but with kindness, with kindness. You know, when, when people said that, have you ever heard that, kill them with kindness? You ever heard of that? Um, some of you are like, um, that's what, like, what does that mean? And, and I hope that you're asking that because it can, be, it can be misleading. What does kill them with kindness mean? So this is, this is actually not aggression, aggression towards the, the person, towards the enemy. Let me explain. If you understand how sin and evil works, what you understand is this person that we're talking about that is your enemy is actually not your enemy at all, but has been captured by the capital E enemy to do his will and accomplish what his purposes are. You tracking with that? And so when you realize that, friends, our kindness and our effort to overcome evil with good should be a very passionate effort. All right. Take that Giles Montgomery Bootsy, you know, type aggression. And in terms of your life against the, the work that Satan wants to do in the power of Christ and aggressively love, like passionately love intensely and urgently love and show kindness and grace. And in that way you kill not your so-called enemy that's just a mere human, but you kill and defeat the work that Satan wants to do in them. Does that make sense? Dismantle his weapons, rob him of the opportunity to continue using this person or group of people for his purposes. Some of you are like, what about, what about just war? Next question. All right, <laughs> joking. How do we handle that? War. I don't know if you know this, but usually when two countries are in a war, I don't, that's going to blow your mind. Did you know that when when we were saying that, and we were right, <laughs> Germany is evil back in, in the forties. Earth is just evil. Did you know that they weren't saying, "Man, America is so pure and great and awesome. Like there's nothing wrong with them." No, no, same prop, propagation of claims. Both th sides thought evil. And so if you're wondering, I don't have a perfect answer, but yeah, there, there are instances and we see in scripture where Satan and his will and his influence on people gets to be to such a point and so heavy and so extreme and affecting and putting lives in so much danger that, yeah, sometimes it is appropriate in a military fashion to step in. But here's the thing, and if you've read history, America has never been pure in any of our efforts, ever, ever. You don't know what one of the primary motivators of World War II was? 
cash money. Look up history. Read it. Not the, not the, the, that's just in the Texas history books. They don't want you to know it. Read pure history. Every single time, for sure, lots of good done, pushing back evil every time. There's always been selfish motives. So here's what I say. I think we have influence in the spheres to, to vote or whatever way that you feel like is the Christian um, ideal or the Christian um, ethic, so to speak. But what I would say is you're also responsible for your posture and your heart in that. Because guess what? You look back, you look at back at that, men, women, children, and war, it's, a, it's never a good thing. You should never want war. You understand that? You should never want war. But sometimes it is inevitable. And thanks be to God that the majority of times we have been in this nation blessed to be on the right side of things but it does not come without its intermingled darkness. Y'all tracking with that? And so we as Christians, as people of God, as people who want to have genuine love, we're responsible for our posture, even in those times. I'm trying to get your eyes. Y'all tracking? Y'all good? Anyone checked out? No one's gonna leave? All right. But you don't understand, Cole, I've suffered at the hands of true evil. Like I've been abused, used, abandoned, and scared for my life. And so here's where I want to say to this, and here's a massive caveat. Look, if that is you, listen, I'm not, I'm not so concerned. If you're like in danger physically or have been before, I'm, I'm not so concerned about your love being genuine immediately. I'm trying to get you out of there. You drag it? Like, I want you out of that situation. And what that does, that overcomes evil with good because probably the best and good thing that you can do is to get you to safety, right? At whatever cost. Second step is whoever that might be, the best good thing to overcome evil with good is probably to get that person behind bars and convicted for what they have done, okay? And probably the best thing you can do after you're safe and the smoke has cleared is to overcome evil with good, this is gonna be the hard part by maybe, maybe, actually definitely, praying for that person who hurt you and did those things for their salvation. Because I gotta tell you, I hate the fact that that may be true reality for someone in this room in the past, present, or future. But for someone to commit such darkness, you have to realize there's nothing except the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit working a miracle that's going to change them. The amount of sin and the influence that Satan has in their life. So I'm gonna say that first. So the objection was, you don't understand, I'm suffered at the hands of true evil, and I get that. And so there's my caveat in terms of abuse or whatever. And if that's, that's you, privately, please let someone in this room know and make sure it finds its way to me or someone that can get you help. But then there's also the sense of, I want you to know for everyone in this room, because all of us to some extent has experienced that suffering at the hands of someone else, you are not alone. I was thinking about, I was pondering the cross of Christ this week. We have a savior, Jesus, who was used, abused, wrongly accused abandoned and quite literally scarred for life. You got scars, so does Jesus. Scripture tells us when we suffer, Paul says, I have sweet fellowship with Jesus. Y'all listen, this is crazy. Paul went so far as to say that the more he suffered, the more that he was becoming like Christ. So that even in his death, if he suffered unjustly, he could say, 
to some extent, he died as Christ did unjustly. But with his head held high, with a heart full, with the desire to glorify God with his every last breath. Amen. So you see, Paul had scars internally and externally. He had friends that abandoned. Read 2 Timothy. He's like, they're all gone. Timothy, you're the only one left. Everyone has deserted me. Everyone's gone. They left scars on his soul. And he for sure had physical scars from enemies of the gospel, beaten countless times. You know, brother was stoned so badly. Brother, brother Paul was stoned so badly. They thought he was dead. They just left him. Turns out he wasn't dead, but he was, he, he might as well have been. But he, he rose up. He was good to go. He was proclaiming the gospel the next day. He knew what it felt like and meant to suffer at the hands of those who had been overcome by evil. And if anyone, y'all check this out. If anyone had the right to say, second to Jesus, if anyone had the right to say, you know what? Forget them. Hate them. Get them back now, whatever the cost. I have a good angry face, right? <laughs> no, no. It's Paul. Yet Paul says, nope. Love them. Bless them. Be kind. Feed them. Give them something to drink. Think about what the exact opposite of what they've done to you and how horrible it is. Think about that in your mind. What is the opposite of the terrible things they've done to me, which is infinite grace and goodness and do that thing. That's his posture. So Paul knew something, friends, that you need to hear tonight. Paul was not very interested in looking at his own scars. He just wasn't. He didn't waste his time with that. Rather, he looked at and he marveled and became overwhelmed with joy unspeakable as he looked to the one who was scarred for us on that cross. So Paul, I think if he's here, here tonight, he'd say, friends, get your focus off your scars and look to the one with nail-scarred hands. I think if Paul was here tonight, he'd say, get your eyes off your haters and look to the healer. The healer Jesus is going to heal you, then grant you the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to love the most unlovely people. Someone you've had past hurtful drama with, a sibling that you fought with and said things to and heard things from that were mean and hateful, a parent that messed up in big ways and brought you a lot of misery, maybe an ex that handled you in such a way that left you feeling used, unwanted, and unable to ever feel loved again. I think Paul would tell us, friends, you've gotta get your eyes off your haters and look to the healer. That's the first thing that has to happen. I'm gonna ask David and Corbin if they'd come up. I want you guys to look at Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, verse 51. I saw this story portrayed in that series called The Chosen. It was really good. And um, I was kind of inspired tonight to, to go to this passage. Luke 9, 51 to 56. 
Sorry, it's taking me a minute. Used to having a free hand. Luke 9, 51 to 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, so the days are drawing near. Jesus knows I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm going to die. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. See, Jews, Samaritans, not friends. They even have different places that they say, this is where you're supposed to worship. Long history there. We can get into it later if you're curious. But the, verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Like, you're a Jew. You want to go to Jerusalem. You're not coming here. You're not coming through here. You're our enemy. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, so they, they've, they've suffered wrong, right? They suffered wrong, a little bit of wrong. So when James and John saw it, otherwise known as the sons of thunder, they said this. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> but he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Why did Jesus rebuke them? I think he's thinking, sons of thunder, James and John. Did y'all miss my Sermon on the Mount where I said to love, love your enemies? He's probably thinking that. And pray for those who persecute you. He's probably thinking like, you know what? Romans 5 hasn't been written yet where, it's, <laughs> where it says that, that God loved all of us, you and me, while we were still his enemies. Why did Jesus not rebuke them? I don't know if you realize this, but this point in redemption history yet, James and John's faith was not sealed in Christ. They were following him. And what we know is because they had not even yet had the opportunity to believe in the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and follow him, is that even at that moment, they were chosen, but their salvation was not sealed. So I want you to get this. I want you to get this. James and John, in terms of salvific love of God at that moment, were still just as much an enemy to Jesus as those Samaritans. And they didn't know that. They did not get that because of their sin, even while following Jesus, their sin had not been atoned for. <laughs> and they're making themselves an enemy and a rebel against the God of creation. That wrath was still unappeased. And they stood salvifically as enemies of Christ. Yet asking Christ himself, can we call down all sorts of fire and thunder and whatever you want to bring upon these enemies of you? That's Romans 5. Romans 5 says again that it was while we were enemies that God loved us. So I want you to hear this. If Jesus doesn't love his enemies, then he's never going to love you and me. If Jesus had not loved you in Christ, when you were an enemy, you would have never been loved. If he was on that cross saying, this is only for those that aren't my enemies. There's no one that gets the benefits of the cross and the resurrection. All of us were enemies of Christ. Do you see how foolish it was? It would be how prideful to see the cross of Christ and yet withhold forgiveness from a co-enemy of him. 
If you stand as a friend of Christ in his grace and his truth as a Christian, you didn't earn it anyway. (laughs) And that's why we love our enemies because the reality is, is that whatever vengeance we could want for what the wrong they did to us, unless they find Jesus, the vengeance of the Lord and the justice that will be brought upon them is unmeasurable and unfathomable and will lead to an eternity in hell apart from him forever. And so we, because of that, love our enemies and we pray for them. Because as Christians, the worst thing that we could ever think has happened to them is hell. And the best thing that could have ever happened to anyone has happened to you in Christ and that's salvation and a sealed eternity with him forever. So we pray to that end. Say, God, save them. The worst thing that someone's ever done to me, you think of it. We talked about that last week. The worst thing that could ever happen to you, you think of it. It doesn't matter whoever did it. It cannot be worse than hell. And for Christians, the worst thing that we're ever gonna experience on this life will be as if the best thing that a non-Christian will experience in this life if they do not find Christ. So what that means, friends, that if you hate your enemies, and you don't love your enemies, then you don't love like Christ. And first John says, you do not have the love of God in you. You can't claim to have the genuine love of Jesus, verse nine of Romans chapter 12, with harbored hatred in your heart. Haters gonna hate, lovers gonna love. And the mark of a true Christian is love. How do we love our haters? We overcome their evil with the goodness of God via our loving kindness. Where am I going to find the power to do that? By praying through the power of the Holy Spirit that he might compel you to look at the cross and examine yourself and ask, what right do I have to hold enemies within my heart? By remembering to get your eyes off your haters and looking to the healer. Got scars? So does Jesus, and he loves anyway. And not just this barely kind of love, not just puts himself up with us like, okay, they're all right, just don't want to talk to them, but a pour himself out kind of love. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to do the same. Would you guys just bow your heads for a moment? I wanted to share some of my story and how this passage in a gracious, loving way kind of just slaps me upside the head and humbles me and shows me, my goodness, Cole, you can so easily make enemies. You can so easily harbor hate. And I've called you to love. It's It's the mark that you're actually in me and of me that you would have forgiving, gracious love to others. And I shared that because I I thought just maybe, maybe that that might open the door for you to find within yourself some vulnerability, to find within yourself a place that you maybe haven't ever been or or desired to be and just say, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna be able to get it all settled tonight, but I I at least wanna put misconfession before the Lord and say, God, I... I have been hateful. I have been bitter. If someone were solely relying upon loving enemies, 
in my life to see whether I was not, whether I was Christian or not, they might not know if I was. And I've been there, friends. So I want to invite you in. I'm not going to ask anyone to come up. I'm not even ask anyone to raise their heads, but I want to give a moment while um, Maddox is just strumming the guitar up here. Get right with that. Get right with that. Friends, I got good news for you. God loves his enemies. <laughs> because unless you're saved, that's all you are. That's the only standing you have. And he loves his enemies in Christ. <laughs> and he wants to pull you out of that. And he wants to, day by day, year by year, shape your heart to have his heart in his eyes. Let's get our eyes off our haters for a few moments and, and our eyes on the healer. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.